This episode of the Best Seats Podcast is brought to you by, well, you. To learn how you can support the show, go to thebestseats.com slash Patreon. Once there, you'll learn how you can get early access to shows, ad-free listening, the ability to submit questions, comments, concerns, and more. Once again, that's thebestseats.com slash Patreon. But enough of that. On to the show. What's up, everybody? Hello and welcome to the first ever episode 62 of the Best Seats Podcast, the only podcast bringing you interviews with some of the most talented people in and around the hospitality industry from right here in Orange County, California to the rest of Southern California and beyond each and every episode. I am your host, Crawford McCarthy, founder of The Best Seats. Thank you, as always, to my friend, Ali Coyle, who provides music for the show. You can find more of her work at AllieCoyleMusic.com. You can also check her out a few episodes ago right here on the Best Seats Podcast and find her serving some fantastic wines at any of her family's three restaurants if you are here in Orange County. Fable and Spirit over in Newport Beach, Dublin Four Gastropub, as well as Wine Works for Everyone, both over in Mission Viejo. As a reminder, if you enjoy the show, please be sure to leave a rating and or a review. It helps other folks discover it. Go to TheBestSeats.com for more content just like this. And as a reminder and a thank you to all of you who support over on patreon.com forward slash the best seats over there you get early ad free listening the ability to submit questions comments concerns to the guests and so much more let's talk about episode 62 i am beyond excited for my guest somebody i've wanted to get on the show for a long long time chef shachi mira owner of adia owner of Spice Girl Sauces, fantastic chef all around, chop champion for you Food Network fans and anybody else who knows her cooking knows that she is one of, in my personal opinion, and I'm sure others agree, the most underrated chefs in Orange County, a consistent person who brings flavor, style, tenacity, heart, and an unwavering commitment to making fantastic, 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 hear me again, fantastic, Indian food. I adore what she does. I love her food. Um, weirdly enough, I've been following her for years, and this was actually the first time we'd met in person, which neither of us realized until we did. Um, I know her food. I know what she does. I support her just as she very humbly supports me on Instagram and social media and all the other fun stuff that we all have to do as we keep you know, trying the waters in these turbulent times. I love what she does. Plain and simple. There's no other way to say it. Um, we are going to sit down this episode and talk about how 2020 affected her, what it meant to have all the momentum of being a chop champion off of Food Network, and then immediately have all that put on pause. We're going to talk about what she's doing with the new sauce program that she's launching and the new brand and everything that she's doing. All in all, this is not one of those introductions that needs a lot. If you live in the Orange County area, you more than likely have had her food. If nothing else, you've seen her food, you've been around her food. God willing, if you're lucky enough, you've smelt her food because even that is an intoxicating enough experience to get you involved, to get you curious, to bring you in. To it, it, How about this? Look, I don't use kind of hyperbole a lot, 
but her food, as far as my palate goes, and probably as far as your palate goes, reminds me of those old Looney Tunes cartoons where somebody would smell something really good and all of a sudden they're wafted up into the air and they're dragged by their nose kind of ethereally through the air going to that scent. That's the way I look at her food. It kicks ass, plain and simple. She's an absolute force. She's somebody that I'm so humbled took the time to sit down with. I cannot wait for you to hear her story and this interview with episode 62 of the Best Seats podcast. Chef, owner of Adia, Sauce Girls, the Spice Girl Sauces. Ooh, quick hiccup. Shachimira. Enjoy. Jeff, thank you so much for taking the time. I have been, you're somebody I've wanted to get on the show for a while. I've been a huge fan of your work. I adore your food. Um, growing up, Chopped was a show that I used to watch with my mom and it helped me get into loving food and, and watching you win that in 2019 was phenomenal. So to have you here today is a real treat for me. But before we jump into the show proper and kind of the different things that I want to talk about and, and hear what you want to talk about, would you mind introducing yourself to everyone and giving a little bit of your background and kind of how you came to be where you are now. Sure. Uh, first, thank you for that super amazing intro. I don't know how I could follow that with anything better. Um, I'm Chef Shachimara. I am a chef partner at Adia. We have two locations in Orange County, and I am also the founder of Spice Girl Sauces, a new sauce company uh, that just launched. I've been in Orange County for about 10 years now. I've been cooking professionally for about 20 I grew up on the East Coast. I worked in New York and D.C. Uh, and then Northern California and then came down to Orange County 11 years ago and opened Adia, the first location, which is in the packing house about seven and a half years ago. And Irvine is going to be five this month. Congratulations. That's awesome. Especially after 2020. That's a huge achievement. Yeah. Where we had um, we actually didn't end up closing the Irvine location at all. Um, we just did that whole now we're doing takeout. Now we're doing outdoor. Now we're doing takeout. Now we're doing outdoor. Uh, packing house location had to close for a little bit. But uh, being in Orange County, I have found that it's such a tight knit uh, food community. People mm -hmm. are really like looking out for each other and doing stuff. And everyone sort of banded together. And immediately we closed on a Tuesday. And the following Monday, I'd, I'd started selling our stuff packaged at uh, Dean Kim's pop-up at the bakery. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. Um, I'm, I'm glad you did first. The Again, the, the elephant in the room the past 18 months has obviously been COVID and everything that we are unfortunately still dealing with. It, it's We're all kind of in this place right now where it's over, but it's not over. But is it over? Maybe it's over. Talk about the progress for you of, like you said, closing right away, going into Dean Kim's pop-up, uh, that pop-up, which was so huge for so many different people and really became an animal kind of in its own right of all the different vendors and people that were there. What was it like to get that news, you know, March 16th, okay, everybody's done, lock the doors, you know, yeah. throw a mask on and go home versus no, I have a business that I need to survive and to connect with Dean and all those other people that ended up being there. Um, I'll be hundred percent honest. The first two days after we closed, I stayed home and drank a lot and cried. Um, That's and okay. Same. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, and then I was like, I gotta, I gotta do something. I'm not the type of person that can just kind of like, let's just wait it out or we'll figure it out as time goes on. I have to keep doing stuff. And that's something I learned about myself through this. And being in that space with these people was amazing. I mean, it was constantly just 
being together, talking about what's going on, how to move forward, even just there were days where you just talked about whatever you want to talk about, but being in a space with people that are going through the same thing at the same time, even though everyone's experience was very different um, and having that place to do that. It was a lot of work. That first few months that the that pop-up market started, it was from eight to three. Mm-hmm. And then we took a mini break and then it was from five to eight, Monday through Friday. Yeah. And that was my new full-time job. Um, and it was long and it was hard and it was a different business. And we'd never, we hadn't done like packaged frozen Nadia food before. So learning like, what can we sell? How do we sell this? What do we put next? It turned it into like a new way of looking at things. Like instead of just, you can take a restaurant and just keep doing the same thing. But then when you're faced with, no, you can't do that anymore. There's two options, right? You can either say, well, I don't know what to do instead because this is what I was doing and that's the only thing I know how to do. Mm-hmm. Or you have you have a real opportunity to find some other stuff to do. Um, we're still in the pop-up, which is only once a month now, but we joined a farmer's market and we have access to a whole new set of people and we're doing packaged food. We're doing frozen naan. We're doing packaged chicken tikka masala. People love taking it home and eating it later in the week. Or a bottled lessy. There's mm-hmm. one lady that comes every Saturday and she buys one and she talks to me about it and she talks to me about her week. And it's great, but it's that's not something I would have done prior to this. A, a couple of the past interviews that I've done, um, most recently I sat down with FKN Bread and a couple other people. There, one of the senses that I'm kind of getting post kind of all the adaptability that everybody had to go to through 2020 is there's kind of becoming a return to, like you said, kind of that pop-up style, the market style, you know, going out and seeking out individual vendors. How is learning everything you did during 2020? And like you said, having to learn how you're selling, you know, frozen on and things like that. How has it changed the way that you approach your cooking? Um, I think that the consumer has changed a little bit. Um, just in, there's more people that are, have been cooking at home and there's more people that want to experience the food that they're having at the restaurant at home. So we're doing a lot more takeout. Um, I'm trying to make sure that that tastes the same, whether you ate it at the restaurant or you bought it at the market and it was refrigerated and you ate it two days later, or you picked it up Mm -hmm. to go and you're going to eat it later today. Um, All of those things, all of those experiences should be the same. And then the sauce, Spice Girl sauces, sort of came not out of that because it was an idea prior to that. But again, it goes back to how do I get something I made into more people's homes? How do they experience my food experience? How can I share that with them? Um, I want to talk about Spice Girl sauces, but before we jump into that, I'd be remiss. um, My mother would send me a very passive-aggressive text if I didn't ask you about (laughs) Chopped on Food Network. Obviously, Chopped Champion, belated congratulations in person for that. But I want to ask about the fact you said, you know, kind of in in your interview with Ted Allen towards the end, what you would do with the prize money and Spice Girl Sauces was something that you mentioned you would put that money towards. To say there was a lot of momentum at the end of 2019 for the hospitality industry. A lot of new restaurants opened. A lot of places were getting accolades. Some people were pumping out some really kick-ass food. To have all that momentum come to a halt obviously the two days of kind of crying and then figuring it out. 
how then did you kind of get the gears turning again to get Spice Girl sauces going? But also I do want to say first, what was the experience like doing kind of that? Because there's very few people that really do those Food Network style shows, yeah. let alone win them. What was that experience like? Um, it's way more stressful than it looks like on TV, for sure. Um, and it's one really, really long day, and it's like Vegas, so they take your watch, and you don't know what time it is. You have to ask people. There's no clocks on the wall. Um, and you're constantly in a state of just high adrenaline and being really nervous. So I think in the midst of all of that, you just you got to focus on what you're doing and just you don't really I don't really notice the cameras except for when you do and it's like right there mm -hmm. it's like in your face and you're like whoa I didn't even see that but focus on what you're doing um I practiced twice before I went on uh, my husband made me do it he would like <laughs> come home and I would come home from work and I'd be tired but he'd have like five things under a kitchen towel and be like okay are you ready like, no, I don't really want to do that today. <laughs> Were they at least decent things? You're like, why do you have cocoa powder, peeps, and a squid? <laughs> like, what are we doing uh, here? Yeah, it wasn't as bad as that, no. Um, but there, you know, it was weird stuff. But it, it helped me really fine-tune what I wanted to do. And I have a tendency to overthink things. And it taught me, practicing taught me to not change my mind halfway. Did being in an environment like that under, because again, it's, you know, after commercials, it's what, like a 42 minute show. You're probably filming how many hours? You get there, you meet them at McDonald's at like, I think it's like <laughs> six o'clock in the morning and then they walk you to the studio. And by the time, so the last person to leave is the person that wins. Mm -hmm. And I left at like almost 8 p.m. Did going through an experience like that aid you in any way during that process of adapting and going to the pop-ups and doing the, the package things during 2020? Did that kind of experience of pressure on a different level help at all? I never thought about it that way, but I guess it's possible. Um, I mean, just running restaurants, high pressure anyway, right? Yeah. Understatement. But, yeah. And being on chopped is a different kind of high pressure um, because it's just one day, but it's really short or long bursts of like high intensity pressure. Mm -hmm. And then you sit down in the room. So you cook, and then you sit down and you wait for them to judge. And you're just nervous that whole time. You don't know what they're going to say. And then you go back in and they tell you what they think. And then you cook again. So, <laughs> so you go from the that. The timing is real. I think that's the number one question people yeah. want to know. The timing is real. You actually only have the time that they get, say that the clock says it's 20 minutes or 30 minutes, whatever it is. And it feels less than that. I'm going to get anxiety eczema just thinking about it. <laughs> uh, so obviously you go through that whole experience, survive the initial shutdowns and everything else that, you know, 2020 threw at everybody. Now we have, you're launching Spice Girl sauces in yes. several, at the time of this recording at least, and it may have changed depending on when people listen to this, several markets around Orange County. How did the sauce company come to be? This is obviously something that's been gestating for a while, being as you mentioned it on the show. How did it, what was the process like of getting it from, inception to actually birth and into the package so it's definitely something that I've been thinking about for a long time and I hadn't really done anything with the idea 
it was just an idea that just floated around and I was, you know, yeah, we're going to, I'm going to do this one day. I'm going to have a line of sauces and spices. And because I think that that is a way that I can bring my flavors into people's homes. That's one something I want to do. And then when I said it on Chopped, it was like, well, now you said it on national <laughs> Shit, TV. Now it's real. <laughs> so now you better do something with it. And one thing that the pandemic allowed me to do in a way is as much as I was focused on survival of the restaurant, it gave me extra time to do another thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I decided, I mean, there, there's an opportunity to where you can bottle something in your own restaurant and you can package it and sell it there, but that's not what I wanted. And I already knew that. Um, so I found a, co- a co-packer and I had met her years ago through, uh, a lay doms organization tour, I think, that we took of her facility. I had met her a long time ago. So I reached out to her, and then we started working on, and I gave her what my recipe was. And then anytime you multiply a recipe that makes like four cups and you're going to make like 300 gallons of something, there's going to be some changes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So we, she looked at the recipe first from, her perspective, like from a mass production perspective, like, okay, well, you can't puree hot cooked chilies in inside this facility. Everyone's not going to be able to breathe. So you have to reverse engineer and figure out what, how you're going to do this. And I was able to do that, um, like that reverse engineering and kind of figuring out like how to add and subtract flavors and heat levels and stuff. And because I had the time to kind of work on it, once it started moving, Mm -hmm. so like once I had given her the recipe and once we were working on it, it kind of started to come together. Um, And I have, you know, people that are pushing me. So like if I didn't, did you hear back from this person? No. Did you email them back? No. So, I mean, I have that. I have a really great support network. Mm -hmm that's pushing me to keep going, keep going. And once it was, so then we started working on the label also. Um, And Manish, my husband was like, you got to have your face on it. And I was like, no, I think that's a super weird thing to do. (laughs) Um, And I I should say we're we're recording this. It's obviously an audio podcast for people listening, but we have a bottle of it in front of us too, because I've been snacking on one since I got here to set up the equipment. What is it like, by the way, just before we continue about talking yeah. about it, to look at a product as good as this and be like, yeah, that's my face right on it. Um, it took me a while to get used to it, to mm-hmm. be honest. And at first, like when they, uh, the guys that did the logo, they said, well, why don't we do a pencil drawing? And I was like, all right, let's, let's take a look. Um, and I was like, okay, I, I feel like this could work. I kind of like it. Um, and then the first set of labels we printed and put them on bottles and I was like, whoa, um, now I, I feel like it, it's really important to the brand, you know, it really helps it be a real person behind it. Mm-hmm. Well, we should mention too, it, it's kind of a differentiating factor that it is your sauce. This is not on behalf of the restaurant, right? This is a different brand. Yes. Yeah. And again, so obviously the Indian flavors that you bring to the restaurant, phenomenal, deep, you know, developed. Anybody who lives in Orange County, if you haven't been, shame on you. Anybody outside of it, it's a good reason to come here. 
this is not necessarily an Indian sauce. Exactly. Per se. How would you kind of, how would you more eloquently describe that, it? That's exactly right. So Adya has an Indian identity. Mm-hmm. I want you to come to Adya because you want to have Indian food. You want to have that experience or you've never had it and you want to try something different. Um, but what I can tell you is that you're going to get real Indian food. Um, with the sauce, it still has an Indian soul. My background is still Indian. I was born there. Um, that's where my heart is. That's where my inspiration is. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's going to be the soul of the sauce. But one thing that I want people to know that are eating it, I don't want them to only use it when they're eating Indian food. I want them to use it on nachos or a burrito or a grilled cheese sandwich or whatever, or scrambled eggs in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, I want it to be a sauce that you can use on anything, even though it has Indian undertones, it has cumin, it has black pepper, it has that feeling and that warmth and that flavor profile, but you can use it on anything. I think it, speaking as, you know, traditional middle-class white guy, East coast, <laughs> you know, born American condiments for me growing up were very specific. You had, you know, X, Y, Z, maybe you had another one you know, like a barbecue sauce, something like that, but they were very specific <clears throat> to see what you've developed here is phenomenal. And you're right. I mean, tasting it today and, and kind of learning about its history prior, you can put this on absolutely anything. You can put it on an old Volkswagen. It would be good. <laughs> so what's it feel like now? And I should say we're recording this September uh, 10th for people listening, depending on when they're listening, there will obviously based on how good this is, be more stores in the future. Where could people find it now if they wanted to? So currently we are obviously selling it at both Adia locations. We're at the Orange Homegrown Market on Saturdays and we're in four markets locally in Orange County. We're at A Market in Newport Beach. We're at Mario's the Butcher in Newport Beach. We're at Alta Baja, Ma- Alta Baja Market in Santa Ana mm-hmm. and Fork and Knife in Costa Mesa. All great spots. Yeah. Well, it's time for a little commercial, yeah. If you listen to the best seats at all, or read the content, then you know the motto, live well and often. But what does it mean? In layman's terms, it's trying to give you the best products, places, experiences, and more, so you can put a big smile on your face every single day. Amass Botanics is what I use on my back bar constantly if I need a cocktail or a quick pick-me-up. Any of their other botanical products, like candles, hand sanitizer, and more, also helps to set the mood. Now, I'm a big fan of everything that Amass does. I have been since day one when they launched their trademark gin, and everything they've done since then has been nothing short of excellent. Now you can get your hands on their products at a discounted rate by going to amass.com and using the discount code, the best seats 15, that's C-E-A-T-S, at checkout. Now, it's limited one per customer, so make sure you load up. But trust me, you can't go wrong with anything they're doing. I stand by Amass 100%. They're one of my go-to brands for spirits needs or anything around the house. So again, go to Amass.com, that's A-M-A-S-S, and use the code, the best seats 15, at checkout. Trust me, you will not be disappointed. I don't know about you, but 2020 had me re-looking 
at how I live and the space that I live in. Spending so much time at home really had me reevaluating how certain things worked and didn't in my living space. One of the main things, as an avid home cook and an obvious supporter of restaurants, was gardening. Anybody who enjoys food at all will be able to tell you that something you've grown yourself will taste infinitely better than anything you can buy at a store. That's where Ashley Irene of Heirloom Potager comes in. Heirloom Potager designs, installs, and maintains seasonal culinary gardens for chefs and foodies in Orange County. They provide organic gardening methods and bespoke build-outs used to preserve the heirloom varietals that they'll provide for seeds. An approachable and exciting endeavor, no matter if you're a seasoned restaurateur or a stay-at-home chef. Owner Ashley Irene's experience, expertise, and enthusiasm is only matched by her professionalism. For more information on how you can set up a consultation to get your own culinary garden space set up, go to heirloompotager.com. That's heirloom, H-E-I-R-L-O-O-M, potager, P-O-T-A-G-E-R.com today. Once again, that's heirloompotager.com. Yeah. Uh, I want to I want to come back to the sauce in a few, but I want to talk about Indian food uh, Indian food specifically. Um, just about a month ago, uh, Gene Weingarten of Washington Post came out with a opinion piece, um, and I'm going to be paraphrasing it mainly because I don't want to give them the dignity of the click to actually pull the direct <laughs> quote from it. But and I'm, and again, paraphrasing. Essentially, he said that he does not like Indian food because it's only based on one flavor and it only seems to have that, and it's not very complicated. Instant rebuttal. He was trending on Twitter. It Padma Lakshmi, along with multiple other people, came out with scathing rebukes, um, and I think rightfully so. Indian food is something that I, coming from my own background and perspective, I think gets misunderstood and oversimplified. Um, I think most people think chicken tikka masala, which some would argue is actually an English dish more so than Indian. Can you give a little bit of... I guess kind of the the elevator pitch of re-educating people who may not fully understand Indian cuisine and, and just how deep and, and regional and different and beautiful it can be to the people that would see Wine Garden's piece and be like, oh, yeah, I kind of agree with him, as wrong as that piece is. How would you rebuke that and kind of explain the cuisine to people? So for me, the Wine Garden piece, I don't have an issue with him not liking Indian food. Mm-hmm. I if he tried it and he didn't enjoy it, try something else. If you still don't enjoy it, that's fine. My issue with his piece is that he, Washington Post, posted an article that said Indian food is based on one spice. Uh, first of all, curry is not a spice, mm-hmm. even if Indian food was based on curry, which it's not. Um, so that that's the part of that piece that really bothered me. Um and it, it just perpetuates this stereotype that exists in the world. Um, but I think with Adya, one of the things that we've tried to do, and I think that's important for people to understand, is that I get it. I, I understand that if you walk into an Indian restaurant and it's a bunch of flavors you don't know, you don't know what to order. What if you order the wrong thing? It feels risky. Um, and that's why we have open kitchens in both of our locations, so that you can kind of see what we're doing. It's interesting. It's mm-hmm. fun. And there is uh, such vast differences between the regions of India and the ingredients that they use. There's so many people that don't know that people eat seafood in India, but we have an entire coastline. Of course they eat seafood. Yeah. Um, 
and the flavors are different and there's coconut and curry leaves in the south and there's you know warmer spices and snow in the north and it's everything is really different and where you're from and the type of food you grow up with and what each region's specialties are are very localized and regionalized and I don't expect the average consumer to do a bunch of study and figure out what region of India Indian food that they might like. Um, I do think that if you have an opportunity to try something new, you should try it. Um, and don't be afraid to talk to the person that's at the restaurant. One of the things that's really important for me, for our team at Adya, is that they're able to talk to our, our customers. We do get, especially at the packing house location, we get people all the time that come in and say, I've never had Indian food before. And I was so curious about this because I noticed it in our first four or five weeks of being open yeah. seven years ago. There were so many people that came in and said that. I started asking them, what made you decide to have it today? Because I was curious, like, okay, if you've never had it before, what's, what's drawing you here? And over and over it was, this place smells amazing. I watched him do, I watched him make a bread and that looked really cool. Um, it's the visual, it's the smell, and it's the ability to talk to someone and figure out what they might like because there is something that is not overpow- quote unquote overpoweringly curry flavored because curry in itself, curry powder isn't really used in Indian food. We yeah. use a bunch of different spices. But if even if you went to the grocery store and picked five brands of curry powder, they'd all taste different. Um, they'd probably have similar ingredients. They'd all be yellow because of turmeric. Yep. They'd probably all have cumin and coriander. But think about if you put in two tablespoons of coriander and one of cumin in one, and two tablespoons of cumin and one of coriander in the other, those are completely different flavors. Um, so one of the things that we've, I've also been doing is the classes. So we used to do live classes at the packing house location and we turned them into zoom classes so people can cook at the same time as me. And it's been super fun. And I think it's really helped people incorporate and understand working with and cooking with spices and appreciating that they're not, I guess, as scary as they can feel. I'm glad you brought up the classes. Um, I was going to touch on those because I know that there's other groups, um, especially a couple of people that I've had on the podcast recently that have, that do classes, uh, the team at, you know, fermentation farm in Costa Mesa, they do classes on different aspects and things like that. I, I think that with everybody being at home, you know, whether or not they wanted to be during 2020, like you said earlier, people were cooking at home, people were exploring at home when they weren't drinking, people were right. doing other things at home. So are the classes something that's going to, are they coming back? Is it something they that are you're coming definitely, back actually? Yes. We're doing the another potential one of in person or is it still digital? We're doing zoom for now. We have one coming up on September 30th. Um, and I think, uh, the reason that I want to keep zoom is because I, I think people really enjoy the opportunity to cook alongside me. Mm-hmm. Um, when we did the live classes, it was more of a demo where I did the cooking and people went home and cooked it the next day or the week after, whatever it was. And this way, they're cooking at the same time. And when you're cooking along with me and you are like, oh no, I put the wrong thing in the pan. Is it ruined? Do I throw it away? What do I do? I'm 
I'm here. I can help you. Yeah. It's, you know, this is savable and this is okay. This is how we're going to fix this. Yeah. Um, it's the Julia child dropping the chicken on the floor <laughs> and being like, it's fine. It really is fine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I feel like there's an element of fun there. Um, and there's this element of, uh, what's the word? I'd have to imagine there's a connectivity. I mean, when you're actually doing it with someone, even if it's over a digital aspect, there's a different level of connection, I think, that you have ultimately to that meal that you're cooking. Because like you said, even sure. even if you make a mistake, even if something goes wrong, even if oop, two tablespoons instead of one, it's it's still you're getting to interact. And it's not a pre-recorded video, I should say. Right. For people that aren't familiar with this, you're actually just right there with people. Yes. So if they want to stop That's real quick right. and be like, sorry, question. Yeah. Like, yeah. What's up? Yep. When somebody is like, well, I'm not really quite where you are. We just slow down and we chat amongst ourselves while we wait for that person to catch up. Yeah. It's fine. Um, there's, there's definitely connectivity. There's definitely this opportunity for me to get to know these people. And there's this sense of accomplishment, right? Because you made it in your own kitchen with your own stuff. I didn't, you know, like a lot of times you'll watch a video and you're like, well, I don't have that size pot mm -hmm. or I don't have that special spoon that she's using. Mm -hmm. um, so the people that join the Zoom class, they can pick up a cooking kit and it'll have all their ingredients. But I still do want you to do some of the prep. So I might have you like dice an onion the day before, like the day of class before class starts. Um, but we're not doing anything crazy. Yeah. We're just we're going to make food and it's going to be simple for me in a way, because it's, you know, it's something that I've been doing as part of my culture. It's part of my heritage. But for somebody who's never cooked Indian food in their home or doesn't do it regularly because they're unsure of whether or not they could do it, it's a it's a big deal. And it's really satisfying. I I, yeah, I completely understand that. Um, I should mention, by the way, that this episode will be live to the public um, or if you're listening early on Patreon um, well before the 30th, about a week before, I don't know if it'll sell out before then, but about how many people, and then if people are interested to do it, obviously the link will be in the show notes at the end, but if people were interested in doing a digital class, how do they go about doing it and picking up the kits? So they can sign up for our mailing list at the website, which is www.adyaoc.com, or they can send us an email at info at um, All of the information on what the class will be is on our social um, and in the newsletter, and then the kits are picked up the week of class at either location. So basically, I just find out, do you want to pick yours up in Anaheim or do you want to pick it up in Irvine? And we coordinate that, and then you pick it up, and then we meet on the day of class. Very good. And obviously, all those links, like I said, will be in the show notes or wherever you're listening. Just click through, and they will be there. Um, I want to talk about the locations themselves really quick for a minute. Packing, you know, it, that part of Anaheim is such a melting pot and the packing house especially is just such a beautifully wild combination of different vendors and businesses i mean from you guys up there you've obviously got blind rabbit up there i mean there's tons of people irvine is the same thing with such an eclectic community and so many different kind of cuisines all kind of coming together um what's it like to have both locations like you said you get new people in who aren't familiar with the food or you probably have people that are really familiar with the food was it advantageous to the success of Adia to get them into those areas? Or was it just kind of, was it on purpose or was it kind of a happy accident? Because there's such an availability, I feel, in both of those spots. 
to draw people that, like I said, are familiar with it, but also to be able to educate and bring in new people and, and help share the cuisine with a lot of different folks that may not be familiar with it. Well, Packing House for sure is um, a tourist destination. So we have so many people that are from out of town or just new into town, just moved into town, mm-hmm. but they heard about the Packing House. Because if you look on any list of things to do in Anaheim, Disneyland is first and Packing House is either second or third. Yeah, and it's what, two miles away from yeah, Disneyland, give or like take? two miles away. Yeah. So that the client that you're getting and the customer that you're getting at Packing House is very different from Irvine. Irvine is families mm-hmm. um, that live in the area, that live close enough to Irvine to pick up food, or people that are coming from lunch when offices were open, uh, professors. It's, mo- it's more of that, and it's they're very different sort of areas with different people and different expectations of what they want. So the reason I think that there's a lot of people that are, well, I've never had Indian food, but I'm going to try it today at the Packing House location is because it's in this open food-like hall, and it feels less risky than mm-hmm. walking into a rest- an Indian restaurant if you don't know what to order or what to do. It's less risky because you could spend some dollar amount because something looked really good, right? But if you didn't like it, you could convince yourself that it's okay to get fries later i mean i know you're gonna like it before you know you're gonna like it but um there's definitely that that's an opportunity for us and to be in the packing house i think when we first saw this space i even when they were first working on it and this is seven eight years ago probably Mm -hmm. i don't think anybody had any idea that it was going to be the enigma like it is the destination it would become yeah do to, to go back to the the sauces now again the, the the separate animal that it is there's again at the time of this recording you have the one flavor mm-hmm. there's another this hot one sauce in the works. another one in the works yeah what's the the goal for these because like you said they're Indian in spirit their their soul is Indian but they're different they're kind of variables from it they they work on their own they don't need to be propped up by you know a country's cuisine and, and history and tradition. What's the future for the Spice Girl kind of sauces brand? I mean, obviously this is very early in the process, but God willing, someone's listening to this podcast three years from now and they're looking back and they're like, oh shit, that was Spice Girls. What is, well, Spice Girl, not Spice yes. Girls. Sorry, UK. But <laughs> what's the what's the long-term goal? Long-term goal is definitely for this to grow, have multiple products, uh, not just sauces, spices as well. Um, do different types of sauces and be national. I mean, maybe even international. I mean, I, I want this to be, you know, I want people to know this when they Mm -hmm. see it. Now, obviously you, we can be candid. It's your company. You have a bias towards it. You understand the flavors you made them. I'm curious because you said it has an Indian soul Mm -hmm. when Indian friends try it. Because it's one thing for someone like myself with, you know, very, you know, just a self-taught understanding of Indian cuisine as very limited as it is. But somebody who has grown up in that culture and understands those flavors intimately and deeply. What's their response? Do they get that same kind of instant connection of, oh, I understand this, but it's different. I don't. I don't know that it. it. So I think with this sauce, I don't think it's a sense of 
you wouldn't understand it versus somebody with Indian history and culture would understand it. And I, get, I think I, that's, I guess I should say, do they do they get that same sense of I under I, I see the heart in this? I do. I yes, definitely. I think that that quote unquote Indianness is probably more prominent to them because it's something the flavor profile, the cumin, the black pepper, that underlying layer of flavor that may be new to somebody who's not familiar with Indian food would be something that's familiar to them. Um, but in general, I think Touchwood, everyone that I have given it to really, really, really enjoys it. And not just with Indian food, but with a lot of different foods. Yeah. Sauces aside, restaurants aside, you know, defending top championship aside, <laughs> It's been a rough 18 months. I think everybody can be candid about that. I think everybody is still reeling from that. What does the future look like? Where where are you at with a headspace and how are you? I think I'm in a good place actually. Um, it's It's been a lot of learning and I think that's important and it's been really good for me to have a chance to learn more about myself, more about my existing business to launch a new business and have all of that going on. It's really given me momentum um, instead of sort of slowing down and feeling like, whoa, it's, and of course the last 18 months have been like, in a way it feels like they were five years long, but in another yeah, time way, doesn't really make sense. it feels like that was two days ago. So but in during that time, I think because I was able to do a lot or I feel like I did a lot or learn a lot, um, it's been good. I, I mean, I feel good. I feel like since we launched the sauces, I feel really positive and I feel confident. And I think every store we get into or every person I talk to about it more, um, it's it's getting better. It's. We're on our way up, I guess. Good. That's excellent to hear. Chef, I know you're very busy. I don't want to take too much more of your time. Um, obviously, we mentioned where people can find the information for the classes, but overall, if people wanted to find you on social media or find you know, a Spice Girl or the restaurants, et cetera, where can people go do that, whether it's the Instagrams, websites, et cetera? Instagram, I'm at Chef Shachimera. It's S-H-A-C-H-I-M-E-H-R-A. Spice Girl Sauces is at Spice Girl Sauces. It's also at SpiceGirlSauces.com. Uh, and Adia is Adia OC. If anybody who ran a market or anything like that was listening and was interested in carrying the sauce, would they be able to do that through the website? Absolutely. Yes. SpiceGirlSauces.com. Perfect. Thank you so, so much for the time. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. The sauce is phenomenal. The food is some of my favorite around. And this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much. This has been my pleasure. Appreciate it. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Chef, for sitting down and taking the time to be on the pokey little podcast, this never-ending little grease fire that is the best seats podcast. I am so grateful for her time. I'm so grateful to all of you for listening. Thank you so much for what you do for supporting each and every episode, whether you're listening on free feeds, whether you support over on patreon.com forward slash the best seats in order to get that early ad free listening access, the ability to submit those questions, comments, concerns. Thank you to the advertising partners who continue to support this show 
breaking through barriers of what food media can be. And again, thank you. Regardless, if you're listening, thank you. If you watch on Instagram, thank you. If you watch on Facebook, I don't know why you're there, but thank you. Just stay off Yelp. And that's the only social media channel that I really care about. To everyone out there, thank you. Thank you to Chef for taking the time. I hope you will go check out her food. I hope you will definitely check out her sauces. Good Lord, they are good. I was not being dramatic at all when I said that that was literally what we were eating before, during, and after the podcast. Phenomenal products. She's a phenomenal chef. She's a phenomenal human. And if that's not enough of an upsell, well, I really don't know if you can be happy in life, but I'll tell you right now, you take one bite of her food and you will be. Thank you to all of you for listening. I'll see you next time. Take care. The Best Seats Podcast is an original production of The Best Seats. It is written, edited, produced, and owned by myself, Crawford McCarthy, founder and principal of The Best Seats. It's based in Orange County, California. It is subsidized through generous monthly donations at patreon.com forward slash The Best Seats. The following are the names of those who subscribed at the highest monthly tier, aka norm status, and allow me to continue producing this show each and every month. As a thank you for their continued support, here are the names. Cheryl McCarthy, Serena Warino, George Pavlov, Eric Lutz, Pizza Guy 92, Loco Lipo, Tim Falk, Burrito No Rito, Jay Baker, Sarah Hines. Thank you for your support. <laughs>